0: Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. This morning I want to speak to you on the subject that failure isn't final. I love the real stories of perseverance and success that you can find just through a cursory internet search. Most of those stories of success entail a lot of failure and perseverance also. For example, a quick search reminded me that Henry Ford failed multiple times. In fact, bankruptcy twice prior to his successful automotive company, Ford Motor Company. R.H. Macy of Macy's stores failed seven times before his New York store finally caught on. English novelist John Creasy got 753 rejection slips before he published 564 books. Babe Ruth struck out 1,330 times alongside of hitting 714 home runs. Thomas Edison famously said he discovered 9,999 ways not to make an incandescent filament light bulb before he made a light bulb. Michael Jordan had an interesting Perspective on this. He said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game winning shot, and I've missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. This idea of failure not being final comes from a quote by Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England. He said, Success consists of going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. It's fun to look at those kinds of historical examples. And it does serve as a decent introduction and hopefully make you decide you want to hear God's word this morning. Till up the soil of your heart a little bit. But I love this and I love this story because I'm a failure. I have failed. I fail. I fail. I will fail. <laughs> we can put it in all the verb tenses you want. And if I know much about humanity as revealed to me in the Bible, then I know you have failed. You fail. You will fail. Jesus said it differently uh, through the words of the apostles. Even John um, who wrote in his epistle later after writing this gospel, if anyone says he has no sin, he deceives himself. The truth is not in him. Paul wrote, every temptation that takes us is common to man. That means if I know a little bit about my own heart, if I could be just a little introspective and understand the depth of unbelief, failure, Oh, it may take on different form in your lives, but I know a little bit about you too, and you know a little bit about me i 'm so glad failure 's not final, or it doesn 't have to be. Something that 's become very common in uh, modern movies is the post credit scene. the post credit scene is something my kids all look forward to at the end of a Disney series or a movie, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has maybe popularized this more than anyone. You, you wait through the credits. You don't leave anymore. And you want to see what's coming next. And a post-credit scene is used in many ways to shape what's coming next and to set up the next stories. In a sense, this Chapter in John 21 is a post-credit scene to some extent. We've seen the inclusio. We've seen in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God at John one, And we saw at the end of John 20, Thomas say, My Lord and my God. And then John sums up with his purpose statement, These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the message of the Gospel of John. And yet, John writing in AD 90 ish, 30 years after the rest of the other Gospels had been written, certainly had some things to address. And the future of the church is, is being written. How did this God experience play out in the lives of his followers? And what does that mean to us today? From John's hearers, first in the end of the first century and then into our experience here. Well, last week we got the little story of uh, breakfast on the beach. Now, this is still a continuation of that same story. You remember the story from last week? Jesus' disciples had been told by the angel, go to Galilee, Jesus will meet you there. So they go to Galilee, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. And a story very reminiscent of an early story from the Gospels where they fish all night and they find nothing. They catch nothing. And then they don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus appears to them on the shore and he tells them to put their nets out on the other side and they catch so many fish and they come up on land and they get to have the experience with Jesus. This setting is very important. It's important that we look back at it because in order to start a look at what I want to talk about this morning, I'll tell you where we're going here. I'm just going to walk through the story a little bit. I want to look at Peter's failure, Jesus' forgiveness, this wonderful feeding. I'm going to give you this again. And then what it means to be faithful. Okay, so I want to talk about Peter's failure, but John masterfully sets this up. The setting is so important. It's meant to evoke two things in our mind. Before we can understand what the teaching is, we have to feel the setting and understand what the author was trying to do in getting us ready to hear the words of God. And there are two things that Jesus has done intentionally to reach the heart of Peter. There are two different reminiscences Is that a word, reminiscence? There are two different callbacks. Can you imagine the disciples sitting there around the fire having breakfast with Jesus? And after the initial shock is worn off, if that's possible, they're sitting around having breakfast and I'm sure somebody realized Hey, you know what? This is a lot like, they wouldn't have said it this way. This is a lot like what happened in Luke 5. Remember? Remember that time three years ago with the fish and the nets? And Simon Peter that day came to Jesus and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. It was a very similar story, a little different. They get up on shore, there's a fire there already with fish and bread. Early in their ministry, the feeding of the 5,000 and a miraculous feeding. And Jesus has just blessed them with breakfast again. Man, this is like when Jesus said to us, follow me. This is so similar to when we were called as disciples to follow Jesus. This is really like the beginning That sounds fun, doesn't it? In fact, this passage ends with Jesus reiterating something to Peter. What were the last two words we read together? Follow me. It's intended to be very similar. That's the positive side of the setting. Friends, there's a very, very dark side to the setting too. A lot of similarities. You know, one other similarity. He calls him. Isn't this interesting? Interesting. When Peter had finished breakfast, Jesus said to, what's it say? Simon Peter. John calls him by the name everyone knows him. How does Jesus address him? Simon, son of John. Well, I, thought Peter, I thought Jesus changed his name. We have, some, we have an interpretive question here we have to ask. John says that he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. This is what he called him in John one forty two when he first met him, Simon, son of John. You can go back and look before he changed his name. So it all points back to the beginning. However, his name wasn't Simon, son of John anymore. Peter had been renamed. And there's this charcoal fire. Isn't that interesting? Do you remember when Pastor preached on this, the denial of Jesus? The denial of Peter. And he made that observation. I don't know why it's a charcoal fire, but John goes to the point of saying it was a charcoal fire. This is the only other time there's a reference to a charcoal fire in the whole book. So Peter's sitting there. Everybody else may just be getting the the original follow me. Jesus called us to be disciples. Yay, we're going to continue the mission vibe. But Jesus has... Business with Peter. You imagine Peter just sitting around this fire. Why not a wood fire? And there are similarities. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I want you to see. I'm not just grabbing at straws. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? And how many times does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? Three. After Peter's denial I, keep saying, I have to get that right after Peter's denial of Jesus, Jesus says to him, "Truly, truly," and makes a statement to him. And here, Jesus says, "Truly, truly," after this prophecy, it's very much meant to evoke the denial, memory also. Do you feel the tension in Peter? That's what I'm after, just in this introduction. I'm just I just want you to understand, man, what confliction. I said failure isn't final. In our class on our class, in our meeting, Brian, Greg, and I meet on Thursday mornings and discuss the text that will be preached on the best hours of our week. Brian reminded me that this stands in contrast to Judas. Did Judas deny Jesus? Did Judas betray Jesus? Yeah. Was his failure final? Yeah, it kind of was. So when I say my message, I say failure isn't final. I I should put a little caveat out there. I guess failure doesn't have to be final. And after we talk about Peter's failure, the next three things that I want to share with you, the Lord gives us enough time together, are ways to keep failure from being final. Could you, fund, could you understand that? But first I just want to deal with the text and the failure of Peter. I think it's Luke. Um, I have the notes here. It's the Gospel of Luke where we find a little bit more about the prediction of Peter's denial. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Here are these words. This is previous to the denial. Satan has demanded you he wants you to sift you like wheat to to just shake you and waste you and jesus says but i have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and peter said to him lord i'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death although all of these fall away I will not fall away. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter. The rooster will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you even know me. We were in our Sunday school class last week discussing last week's text and it kind of broke into this text. And I remember someone in our class saying, I don't want to be too hard on Peter. I've been in settings where I should have spoke up and said something, and I didn't. And we talked about that for a minute, and that's a little different, isn't it? You know the story of Peter's denial, Peter's failure. Standing around the charcoal fire, if we turn back to John 18 in the section where John records it, Peter was standing and warming himself, by the charcoal fire. And they said to him, You also, you're one of the disciples, aren't you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who Peter's ear had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. Earlier, verse 18, a servant and officers had made the fire and they asked him as he was heading into the fire, the servant girl, you are one of the man's disciples, aren't you? And Peter said, I am not. Some of the synoptic gospels tell us that Peter actually, with an oath, I don't know what that means in Americanism, I don't know the man. (laughs) This was no small thing. This was the leader of the disciples. This is Peter. Verbalizing his denial and betrayal of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you think that Peter shuddered? Later, when he wrote these words from 1 Peter chapter 5, at the end of his epistle, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter's failure is in our face, in the context here. And it is the point of Jesus now reaching out to him. And I know that's kind of a long introduction or a long first point, but if we don't feel the weight of this failure, we cheapen the worth of the forgiveness. And it is rich, rich, rich grace. Well, let's look at Jesus' forgiveness. This is where the text really begins. When they had finished breakfast. Verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon. Son of John. Do you love me more than these? He said to him. Yes Lord you know that I love you. He said to him. Feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time. Simon. Son of John. Do you love me? He said to him. Yes Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him a third time, or said, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. As I said before, this threefold repetition mirrors the threefold denial There is an element of instruction here about the sufficiency and greatness. The adequacy, the veracity of the forgiveness of Jesus. For every time you sin, there is an offer of forgiveness. Amen? That is not accidental. And it is meant to embody and embellish a wonderful point. How do you keep failure from being final? You embrace the ministry of forgiveness. You accept what John wrote in his epistle. We do not say we have no sin, that we lie to ourselves and to one another and the truth is not in us. But we confess our sins. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do you deal with sin? Well, the American way. What do you think Peter's thinking? Did Peter think Jesus was just going to do the American thing and let time heal the wound? We'll just pretend it didn't really happen and we'll have a cool period with one another, but eventually we'll get comfortable with one another again and we'll just keep moving on and act like nothing ever happened. I would bet that 100% of us have situations in our lives where that's the way people relate to one another. Not in this case. Jesus would not allow that to happen. Now, this does beg a question. How do you deal with sin and confession and forgiveness and repentance? I think I have about three minutes I could go off here just for a second. Friends, all sin is vertical. Do you know what I mean by that? All sin is between you and God all sin i can't sin against my wife and it's not sin against god Do you understand that and most sin a lot of sin is horizontal you know what i mean by that that sometimes i can just sin with god all sin is vertical most sin is vertical and horizontal the way we express our sin spills out onto other people Do you understand that not always but a lot I believe that if we tried to confess and specifically repent of every sin we ever committed, we'd never have the time to get out of bed. (laughs) Such is the pervasive, wonderful nature of the statement of Jesus the last time I preached. It is finished. (laughs) Such is the atonement. Praise the Lord. However, there will be times when your offense with with another member of the human race is so egregious or comes to such a head or such an impediment in your relationship and the Spirit of God, not in an accusing way because He's not the accuser, but He is the reprover of sin and helps us to, to, to repent, will bring this to you that you will get no rest about it and you feel you need to address it i just want to share that from a balanced standpoint because i don't want you to feel like you you must always address everything i would certainly not want to be discouraging you from addressing things you understand that i would not want to be that voice either But when the sin is specific enough and the Holy Spirit addresses it with you, you need to make it right. And that's what Jesus does. From the very first word Simon, son of John, not Peter. Peter means the rock, not Dwayne Johnson. He was, he was the rock. And lately, Peter has been only rocky and not Balboa. It's been tough. We read through it so quickly. Can, I, I, I pray, pray, pray it's not ever true of me that I would say, I don't know the man. Amen? John wrote about that too in 1 John 4, a little hymn Speaking about denial. If we deny him, he remains faithful. So good to read 1 John while you're reading John. In fact, so he doesn't call him Peter. He refers to him the way he referred to him before he called him. A little distance here, a little problem. In fact, there's another spot in Mark 16. One of my favorite, it used to be one of my favorite verses, but then we had our meeting on Thursday morning and I had to think about it differently. It's great studying the Bible with friends. Mark 16, the account of the resurrection, the angel stands at the tomb and tells the women, go tell the disciples and Peter he is risen from the dead. Now Mark is a name, you're you're like, who is Mark? That's John Mark, the missionary friend of Paul and Barnabas. He was the scribe to Peter. If you don't know Mark is really Peter's gospel. Peter telling it. Had to have apostolic authority. Mark just happened to be the writer. Now can you imagine, and I don't think we know, I'd always thought of the verse this way. Go tell the disciples, and Peter! We're not done with Peter. (laughs) I'd always thought of it as a very engaging thing. And then Pastor Brian said, well, what if he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. And we don't know the tone of voice, and I don't know the intent. I know there was a distinction made. So as we've, been, as we've learned, try not to speculate very much. So I don't know whether it was intended one way or another. I can't tell you. It's good to always question our, the way we view the text to some extent. But it's clear there's a distinction, right? He was called out. I mean, you could have just said, tell the disciples. They were together, right? 11 of them in the upper room. Well, 10 without Thomas, then 11 when Thomas was back, right? Go tell them. Something very significant. First question. Do you love me more than these? What are the these? Well, most people... uh, A few people have written that it's more about his way of life and his fishing and all that. It just doesn't make much sense. Peter had boasted, vociferously, consistently. He had compared himself to the other disciples, even if all of these fall away. You ever do that? You ever make yourself feel better by comparing yourself to other people? (laughs) We all do that a little bit. And Peter said, hey, do you love me? Remember what you said, Peter? Remember what you said, Peter? Hey, Peter, can you hear this? Do you love me more than these? And Peter's like, oh, man, we're doing this right now. (laughs) I'm going to just, by way of segmenting the text so I can preach it thematically, I'm going to skip Jesus' response is for my next point, okay? I'm just going to go through the questions. Do you love me more than these? Second question, he drops that. Actually, that's an easier question. (laughs) I can compare myself to other people. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. So then he just asks him, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him a third time. Shh, again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, it all clicks, is grieved because he asks him a third time. How many times Peter deny him? Oh, we're doing this right now. To be truly healed, to be truly restored from your sin, you have to look it square in the eye. You have to acknowledge it. You can't make excuses for it. Peter doesn't say, well, Jesus, I, I, I see what you're doing here, but it was dark, it was cold, it was the middle of the night, I was tired, I'd been up all night, you weren't around to help me. I wasn't thinking straight. That's Adam and Eve in the garden right after the fall, blame shifting. Peter realizes what's happening, and he is broken he is grieved, and Peter is being taught by Jesus. Peter, before we start this new mission, and we know the story, right? Peter's part of the story. It's great. Before we get this new start, you've got to own your sin. You've got to recognize it. You can't blame it on other people. You can't blame it on education. You can't blame it on society. You can't blame it on the government. All those things matter. They all have an effect on us. They're all part of the world. That was your sin, Peter. Do you see it? Are you, will you own it, Peter? Are you willing to walk in the light? Because men love darkness more than light, because their deeds are evil. Will you walk in the light, Peter? Do you love me? What a question! I haven't even talked. All we talked about is the grammar and the syntax and the organization and the relationship to other stuff. What about the question? Do you love me? Friends, if you love Jesus, do you tell Him? Look what Peter says in the third, um, in the third response, it's callback to John chapter two, verses twenty-four and twenty-five, verses we've used before. He says, "You know all things." John two twenty four 24 and 25, Jesus on his part didn't entrust himself to people because he knew all people and he didn't need anyone to bear witness about people because he himself knew what was in us. In our VBS skit this last week, my daughter Angela had to deliver lines about the omniscience of God. Glorious, I'm never alone. Probing, God knows everything. One truth full of encouragement. One truth sometimes prone to make us shrink a little bit. Pretend with God as if we could. Friends, we need to rest in that omniscience of Jesus. He knows everything. If his love is true, he loved you before, during, and after whatever failure you have remarkable remarkable that his love does not wane or grow through a failure in fact i think often about he's not he doesn't love your failures but i think often about how god's love for me was not affected by my failures what a great truth tell jesus No matter how often or how severely you fail in your love for Jesus, Jesus stands ready to forgive you and wants to use you in his kingdom. Oh, We've got to move on. We've got about 10 minutes left here. Then there's this idea of feeding, the shepherd's feeding. And this plays large into uh, Peter's life. Jesus' response to Peter after every question, Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Earlier when I quoted from the, uh, I think it was Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, I have the reference here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I omitted this earlier. Here it is. And when you have repented, when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Even before the denial Jesus knew and was praying for the future of Peter. Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who feeds and cares for his sheep, entrusts this ministry, this word ministry to his disciples. Peter would write later, and I purposefully excerpted some uh, quotes from from the epistles of Peter, so you could hear from Peter himself how he thought about this. He said, I exhort the elders among you, The teachers, as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Feed them. Don't dominate them as though you're lording over them, but be examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the gospel ministry. It's a word ministry handed down to us from the Scripture. Even Peter himself at the beginning of his second epistle, I believe, second, yes, uh, spoke about the transfiguration of Jesus, this unbelievable miracle that he saw. He was a witness to And he says, we were eyewitnesses to the glory. And he says, but we have a more sure word. Can you hear the power of Peter in that? Can you believe the guy who saw Jesus transfigured said the Bible was better? (laughs) That's what he said. The words of our church father. Peter would also write, "If If you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, You were born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails. But the word of God remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander, and like newborn babies, long For that pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter understood his work that Jesus entrusted to him to feed the lambs, tend the sheep, to be about the word ministry. Friends, you need to be feasting on the Bible in your life during the week. If that's something for you, I want to remind you of something that we have tried to put together here and COVID got in the way of it. We're going to begin to talk about it again and that's one-to-one Bible reading. I so enjoy reading the Bible with someone else and I don't know why we just don't take the time to do such a simple thing. That once a week you would get with someone and read the Bible together for an hour. I didn't say have a study or or prepare. Just just read the Bible together. You certainly do more than that. What an encounter between Jesus and Peter. Addressing Peter's failure, Jesus' forgiveness, and this feeding ministry that would come to the church through the Word of God. And lastly, I just want to close talking about the sincere faithfulness and the changed life of Peter. The last couple verses here. Truly, truly, I say to you. Remember I said how Jesus, truly, truly, you will deny me. What a horror. Man. (laughs) To walk around, I don't know if he even listened. To walk around knowing that the Lord had said, you're going to deny me. And you're thinking, I'm not doing that. Friends, if Jesus says something's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? But can you, I mean, surely in well-meaning spirit, Peter's walking around like, no chance. This is not going to happen. Almost living in denial. Well, how about this one? Put that in your head and listen to these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. This stretch out your hands thing. Is a, is a word that's used for crucifixion in the original language. It's, you will be stretched out, and and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And if you, I'll tell you in a minute, but if you know what church history tells us about what happened to Peter at the end of his life, I don't know what I would rather walk around with. The knowledge I'm going to deny Jesus, or the knowledge that I'm going to be crucified. I think the second is better. Verse nineteen: This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Tradition says sincere faithfulness. You know how you know if somebody's sincerely faithful? They keep following when it hurts. Seem fair enough. When the going gets tough, the tough get going kind of thing. Tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome during one of Nero's persecutions in the mid-60s. Maybe 25 years before John wrote this gospel. The early church historian, a man named Eusebius, wrote... Peter seems to have preached in Pontus, in Galatia, in Bithynia, Cappadocia, and Asia to the Jews of dispersion. And at last, having come to Rome, he was crucified head downward, for so he himself had asked to suffer. What that means is that Peter, saying he was not worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died, asked to be crucified upside down. Jesus predicted the martyrdom of Peter. Jesus knew what sort of death it would be. Jesus knew the time frame. Wow. What do you think? I think this much knowledge could either discourage Peter or it could serve to remind him that no matter what's coming, Jesus is in control. Never taken off guard. And if you think about it, these words were spoken to Peter after Jesus himself had raised from the dead. This meant that, Romans 6, Christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over us. Therefore, Jesus will be alive and ruling when Peter comes to die. Jesus said he would be with him. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And not only to help Peter die, but also to raise him up. Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. I'm sure that Jesus knew there'd be some part of this that Peter wouldn't like. I mean, what did Jesus say in the face of his own death? If it were possible, Father, let this suffering, this cup, pass from me, but not my will, but yours. And that's how it is for everyone who wants to follow Jesus. Paul wrote to Timothy, another gospel servant of the first century, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pain hurts. If God had meant it to be fun, he would have called it pleasure. Only a higher love can cause you to embrace this for the sake of not denying Jesus again. You imagine Peter? You imagine him at his crucifixion? A choice? Will you deny? No. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Hmm. There was a man born blind in John 9. They asked him, who sinned? His parents or or him? He was born blind. What did Jesus say? Nobody. He was born blind for the purpose of glorifying God. Would you like that life, friends? Would you be so content? I mean, I, 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 I got to tell you the truth. I mean, there's a part of me that's like, huh. We had to come to grips with that that our lives are for the glory of God and to be used however He wants us to use, to be used. Peter's death was going to be a similar experience. I wonder what kind of death I will glorify God by. There's a thought. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the platform. A couple of final thoughts here. And after this, he said to him, follow me. And honestly, that's so cool. You say, well, that's just an afterthought. That's just tossed in there. No. No. Jesus' forgiveness of this great denial and betrayal was so great, so complete, and so absolute that there was no change to the status and mission of Peter. What did he say before? Follow me. What did he say after? Follow me. We're not good at that, guys. I mean, from from you know, I get sideways with somebody. I, I'm not always great. Once it's settled, at, at just letting things be what they should be. I could learn a lot from that. Beautiful. The failure, forgiveness, the feeding, and faithfulness. Well. Just a couple of thoughts here. Pride blinds us to our failures. Hope you're not in denial over any sin that might be in your life. You should expect it. You should expect sin in your life. You're a sinner. Don't hide from it. What do you do with sin? Do you overlook it constantly or do you have a habit of confessing sin to God and others? That would be a great thing to take away from this message. Are you a forgiving person? Paul wrote that we should um, expect to forgive and be forgiven in our life. Could I ask you a question? When's the last time you sought someone's forgiveness? When's the last time you granted someone forgiveness? And then ask yourself, has it really been that long since I've had sin in my life? (laughs) That should not come as a surprise to us. We should seek and grant forgiveness to some extent as a matter of course. And the closer you live with someone, probably the more often. Do you feast on the Word of God? Is it a priority in your life? And are you following God wholeheartedly? Are you sincerely desirous that both your life and death would bring glory to God? You could set out to say, I'm gonna, whenever I die, I'm going to glorify God. But, you know, it may be 40 years from now. <laughs> are we going to sincerely follow Jesus to the end of our lives? We're going to sing a song now. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. Tis now. And I think about that through the lens of Peter this morning. And I think, what was he saying? Trying to say when he said, I'll never fall away? He was trying to say, I love you. And Jesus just continued to ask that question. Do you love me? There's tension in this song because I've sung it before. And I've sung it from my heart. If ever I love thee, summoning everything in me, my Jesus, it's now. Was that different from today than it was the last time I sang this song? I hope not. Loving Jesus is a lifelong decision. Do you love him? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that our hearts could be uh, responsive to the word of God, that it would go deep in us and produce a great harvest in Jesus' name. Amen.